Broadcasting live from the phx.fm studio in Phoenix, Arizona. It's time for Valley Business Radio, spotlighting the Valley's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to Valley Business Radio, where we tell the stories traditional media tends to ignore and help connect you with the right people. I'm Adrian McIntyre. Today's show is another installment in our mini-series on financial topics brought to you by the team at Wild Wealth Management Group, an award-winning independent financial advisory firm that provides comprehensive retirement, investment, real estate, insurance, legal, and tax planning services all under one roof. Each Wednesday, professionals from the firm and their trusted partners delve into topics ranging from retirement and the stock market to college planning, real estate, and insurance. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the importance of estate planning and how to create your plan. I'm joined for this conversation by Scott Aitken, a wealth management advisor with Wild Wealth who brings vast knowledge from working in wealth management for the majority of the past decade. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. This is a subject that many people don't know a lot about, or they may have heard of, but they don't understand the dynamics. Estate planning. Mm. In my own mind, I'll be honest, it's sort of associated with having an estate, like as if there's some sort of, you know, I don't know, huge mansion on a large piece of property with like stables and drivers and things. But but clearly this is for more than just the 1% of the 1%. What is estate planning and why is it important? Yeah. So first off, you're not the only one. <laughs> a lot of people, um, that's where their mind takes them when they think about estate planning because of that word estate, right? Just like you said, but uh, from a high level, estate planning is many, many things. Um, typically, it's it's the preparation of certain legal documents. The ones that are most common that I discuss with my clients frequently would be things like a living will, um, a living trust, power of attorneys, medical directives, things along those lines. It's, it's much, much more than than dealing with people who have 20, 30, a hundred million dollars. Um, and realistically, most of the general public should have some sort of an estate plan in place. Now, one of the things that's kind of the elephant in the room here on this topic is that by the time an estate plan is being executed, the person who did the planning is no longer with us. I mean, the whole thing here is that this kicks into play on the death of someone. So that is a time in the lives of those who remain that's often full of challenges, uh, grief. Sometimes those deaths are unexpected. Sometimes they're predicted due to chronic disease and things of that nature. So to a certain extent, this is a topic that nobody really wants to talk about because it means at some level you're acknowledging the fact that you're going to die. And that's not something we typically like to do as human beings. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? That's a good point. And I'm going to back up a little bit. It's not necessarily just at death. Um, there's there's incapacitation too. And that's, that's actually a big part of this. Unfortunately, this is, and it can be a very uncomfortable conversation, right? I don't care how old or how young you are to sit down with somebody and talk about what's going to happen with your assets or with, with your family or different things if you're in a car accident, right? Or if, if you're married and you and your spouse are both in a car accident. And then to add another layer, God forbid that that's, that, that situation plays out and you've got young children, right? So 
Yes. In some cases, you're absolutely right. The person who writes the estate plan, which, which typically should be an estate planning attorney of some sort, um, a lot of the times that particular individual may not be around when, when the estate plan becomes active, if you will. Um, and, and just like many other aspects of, of financial planning in general, you know, the hard part sometimes is getting the plan established. Okay. Once a plan is established, and I don't care if we're talking about estate planning, financial planning, retirement planning, once the plan is established, it's a lot easier to go in and, and amend things after the fact as, as someone's life progresses and their goals and objectives progress and change. Um, again, that's much easier to go in after the fact and make quick changes. The hard part's getting it established on the front end. And, and that is something that I, it, it's a challenging conversation that I have with pretty much all of my clients. It strikes me that there must be a couple of things that are hard about it. One, th there's a complex set of legal implications, tax implications, um, medical decision making, you know, the constraints on what healthcare providers can and can't do, uh, the the limits in many cases of, of what they're able to do to support somebody under uh, difficult circumstances in a, in a medical crisis. Um, and the, the core idea here seems to be that the wanting to provide structures to have this person's wishes carried forth after they're no longer able to, to speak to them, either because of incapacitation, really great point, or death. What's difficult about it is emotional, but it's also that this is a complex topic. So what's involved? How does, a, how does an estate planning process actually happen? If somebody gets to the point where they realize this is important, what comes next? Yeah, I'm going to preface this statement with the, 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 the comment that I'm not an attorney, okay? <laughs> when I'm discussing this topic with my clients, I'm very clear that I do have a, you know, a high level knowledge of how this works, the ins and outs, but I would always refer them to an estate planning attorney. And, you know, my group does have, have a group that we're, um, have strategically partnered with to help our clients with these topics. Um, but it is very in depth and I can tell you firsthand, my wife and I sat down and did our, um, estate planning last year and, my wife came into it kind of blind, not knowing what we were going to discuss and how the meeting was going to go. And it is kind of morbid. I mean, we left the meeting and she said, man, she said, these attorneys, they sit here and talk to people all day about, you know, when they're going to die or when they're going to be incapacitated. And she's like, it's kind of depressing. And I said, yeah, I mean, it, it can be if you look at it that way, but on the same token, you know, we're doing this so that God forbid that worst case scenario plays out. We have peace of mind in our instance. We have peace of mind that, that we know exactly what's going to happen with our kids. We know what's going to happen with our assets. And I think even more so, you know, we're not building an estate plan selfishly, right? We're not, we're not doing it for us. My clients aren't building an estate plan for them selves per se, they're doing it for their family members, right? So that if that situation does play out, their family members aren't left dealing with the, the mental anguish and heartache of, of dealing with this tragedy that just took place while also dealing with all of the financial stuff and possibly dealing with courts. 
I mean, Scott, that is such an important point. I never thought of it like that. But this is, in fact, the least selfish thing that you can do because it's not about you. You're gone. <laughs> it's for everybody else. Right. Uh, and in fact, to not do it is such a disservice uh, to people. And as you say, there's a lot of things that come into play on the downside. I mean, I, I would hate to to make the case for this on the basis of the kind of the 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 morbid like reality of not dealing with it. But that, that, that is real. Every single day, there are families that find themselves in real unfortunate situations because they, they didn't have, because someone in the family didn't have a plan. Is that something that you see? Unfortunately, I have seen it. Um, and that's why, again, in my job as a financial planner and dealing with the, the five aspects of a solid financial plan, this is one of the first things that I talk about with all my clients. And, you know, I, I've, hear, I've heard every excuse in the book, right? Why, why they don't have or don't need a financial plan or an estate plan, I'm sorry. And it's, you know, it's I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too rich or I'm too poor. It, you, could, you, could, you could name anything. And realistically, I would make an argument that probably 95% of the population has a need for an estate plan in some capacity, okay? And, and, and people also don't realize that you know, if you don't have a living will that you drew up, everybody has a will. It's just dictated by the state and the probate courts. And, and I can't name one person that if something happened to them, they would want this, this, this court to determine all of these important decisions. Right. Yeah. Not that the courts aren't trying to, to handle the situation as best they can, but it's probably the most protracted, impersonal, really frustrating situation for a family to deal with when they're literally powerless because the state's word is going to be what determines the outcome. It's not what anybody would think of as an ideal uh, situation. No. And not only that, it's, you know, very time intensive. I've seen probate take 18 months or longer. And when you're talking about that and, and then you think about the cost involved with that, you know, again, I go back to now these people that are in probate court are, are taking the time out of their day to do this. It is creating another stress and it's costing a lot of money. And, um, you know, a solid estate plan takes, takes care of these things and kind of lays out the law of the land ahead of time. Um, it, I just, I can't stress enough the importance of it. One of the things that we see over and over in every domain of life is that whatever subject we're talking about, when it touches on human beings, there are complexities that have to do with the emotional, psychological relationship dynamics. And this has got to be one of those really hot button topics because Let's face it, families are not always unified in their points of view about what should happen to, you know, grandma's money or, or, or to a partner's money. Kids are not often on the same, not always on the same page when it, when it comes to thinking about their, their parents, you know, um, you mentioned your own personal uh, example with your wife. You know, I think about my sister and I, 
we're pretty close, um, but we also have very different points of view on things in life. And we solve that by living in separate states and seeing each other a few times a year. And, uh, uh, but we're also both very close to our parents in different ways. And I can only imagine that although we get along really well, that if there was a tragedy in the family, we were thrown into a situation where we were trying to navigate this together with no guidance from the parent who had passed away, things could get dicey because we'd be left with what we had already, which was our, our relationship, you know, dynamics. I'm the big brother. Yeah. But you always, you know, (laughs) whatever. Um, So does this help families navigate through this time? Yeah, it does tremendously. And, And to that point, you know, I've been in this business, it'll be 13 years next month. And unfortunately I've dealt with this a couple dozen times, right? With, with either an existing client passing away or just someone passing away and I'm dealing with now different beneficiaries and money can make people act very strange. And I've seen it firsthand where, you know, I, prior to a death, I knew, you know, let's say I knew the, the two siblings and you know, they told me how great the relationship was and how well they get along. And then all of a sudden there's money involved and it creates a whole new dynamic. And most of the time people don't even know how they're going to act or feel about it until they're thrown in it. And unfortunately, like I said, I've, I've seen this completely tear people apart. Um, I guess a good thing is, is that if there's an estate plan in place with a living trust and some of these different things, it doesn't even give them a bit the ability to argue because they can't, they can't argue what a legal document says. And so part of what this can do from a psychological and emotional standpoint, let's say from a parent's perspective who wants to set it up for their family is they're guaranteeing that, that their children aren't going to fight over these assets and how things are going to be split up and, and distributed. It's, it's laid out ahead of time. And I'm going to add one more thing. I talked about how this can be an unselfish thing to accomplish, but I could also argue the other way. It can, it can actually be very selfish because it is kind of a way that somebody can control their money after they're gone. Right. And, and these trusts can get very detailed and very specific in terms of how the money will get passed to certain individuals, you know, and I've seen instances where, let's say husband and wife have two children. One of them is very responsible. The other one, let's say is what we call a spendthrift. And, you know, maybe the trust says, well, well, child A, they can get their share as a lump sum on the day that the second of us passes, but child B, they're only going to get theirs in 10 equal payments over 10 years. And they could fight over that all they want in court. They're not going to win. Um, so it is kind of a way to protect them from themselves. And like I said, still allow the person creating the trust who's called the grantor or the trustor, um, it, it gives them the ability to, to control that money after they're gone, which, which can be nice. Let's talk a little bit about the tax implications of this. And I, I think it's important to underline something you said earlier. When somebody comes to Wild Wealth Management Group, they're really getting a multidisciplinary team with your advisors and partners coming together in your own areas of expertise. 
Uh, and again, none of this that we're talking about here on the podcast is is financial advice. You need to get with a professional to look at your own situation. But at a very high level, what what are some of the tax implications that may come into play when people are going through the estate planning process? What do they need to be thinking about? Yeah, that's a good question. And this kind of goes back to the very first point you made, which was a lot of people think that they don't need to to worry about estate planning unless they have this this vast array of of assets all over the place. And and realistically, people don't realize that probate comes into play when somebody's assets are over $75,000. Okay. Um, I understand there's a lot of people who don't have 75,000, but there's also a lot of people who do. And there's, I, I come across people all the time who say have a quarter million or half million or a million dollars saved, and they think they don't need an estate plan. And to answer your question, Inheritance taxes on a federal and state level, well, let me back that up. Inheritance taxes on a federal level don't come into play unless the assets are over $11.58 million in 2020. Um, On a state level, it could be different depending on what state you live, so I'm not even going to comment on that. But um, part of an estate plan is to ensure that if if that level of $11.58 million comes down in the future, which I would be willing to bet that it, it, it is going to, especially with the, the, the deficit that's being added to right now through the stimulus, um, that's where an estate plan can quickly be amended to ensure that we're that it's doing things to, to minimize or reduce those inheritance taxes. So a lot of different things to consider. When someone gets to the point they realize this is important, uh, just describe for me a little bit about the process. Um, they they come in, they schedule meetings with you. Obviously, they 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 enter a, an, a relationship professionally with you uh, and your team. And then, w- what are some of the things that happen over a period of time? You said that getting over this initial hurdle uh, was the was the more difficult part of it, and then it can be easily amended later. How does that typically go? Shine some light on the process itself. How long does it take? What, what's involved? From my end, the process is, you know, let's say at initial meeting, we're having a very, very broad-based discussion about a number of different topics. And again, when I'm talking about financial planning, that includes estate planning, um, investment planning, retirement planning, tax planning, insurance planning. So there's, there's a lot of different things involved, some of which I do handle firsthand, other things like taxes and um, estate planning, I don't, I don't handle firsthand. I'm not a CPA and I'm not an attorney, so I will not even get involved in that. I can quickly determine, though, from talking with somebody if they have a need to develop some sort of an estate plan. And from there, the way that that works is, you know, I basically reach out to our strategic partners. I have, I have someone from their office contact my uh, client or prospect and schedule a meeting. And I know on their end that can take somewhere between one and three meetings to determine what that needs to look like that for that particular individual. Um, But from the, from the, the, the client's standpoint, it's pretty painless. It's a matter of committing to taking that consultation with the attorneys. And from there, you know, the attorneys have a great process in place where they handle everything. So again, like you said, it is getting over that, let's say, emotional hurdle of, of making the commitment. Once they make the commitment, it's, it's, it's pretty smooth sailing from there. You know, it strikes me as we wrap up this conversation that uh, as I used to tell uh, my university students in a former life when I, when I taught in California, the one thing that we know is exactly how the movie ends for everybody. Uh, the mortality rate for human beings is 
Nobody gets out alive, as they say, right? And yet we don't live like that. And we deny that most fundamental truth of our own humanity, which is that it does end. And it seems to me that if we, we were to somehow embrace that rather than fear it, there would be a level of peace that comes with having a plan in place. All of these topics uh, have, have an answer now instead of being a set of dark, cloudy questions. And, and that clarity and peace of mind is another benefit that must come out of this process. I, I don't have an estate plan. And as we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking to myself, I actually need to get this sorted out. This is not, <laughs> it's not okay for me to be having this conversation with you and not do something about it. How selfish of you, Adrian. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We need to fix that. Yeah. Scott Aitken is a wealth management advisor with Wild Wealth Management. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Valley Business Radio on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at valleybusinessradio.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Valley Business Radio. Wild Wealth Management Group has ranked as one of the top advisors for the 12th consecutive year on Barron's Top 1200 Financial Advisors, ranked number one in Arizona for 2020. Award recipient Trevor Wild, Financial Advisor at Wild Wealth Management Group. Barron's Top 1200 Advisors. Over 4,000 advisors who wish to be ranked fill out a 102-question survey about their practice. Data is verified and then applied to a ranking formula. The ranking reflects the volume of assets overseen by the advisors and their teams, revenues generated for the firms, and the quality of the advisors' practices. The scoring system assigns a top score of 100 and rates the rest by comparing them with the top-ranked advisor. Listing in this publication and or award is not a guarantee of future investment success. This recognition should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client. Securities and advisory services offered through Cetera Advisors LLC, member FINRA, SIPIC, a broker-dealer, and a registered investment advisor. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. 7025 North Scottsdale Road, Suite 115, Scottsdale, Arizona, 85253.